This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Counter Narrative Podcast. As always, thank you so much for jumping back into the space. Well, that is, if you're a returning listener, hopefully you've heard some things and you are ready for this next episode. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. I guarantee you, after listening to this episode, you will definitely be back and check out some of the others because the guest on tonight is phenomenal. I, I had the honor and privilege of meeting this person in, in, in person back in June uh, during a conference, and we were both keynoting. I opened it up, she closed it out, and when I say she closed it out, she closed it out. I, I sat there in awe as she did her thing. She was phenomenal, and so I'm looking forward to having this conversation with her in this space. I know I already have my notebook ready to go. So if you're listening to this, I would assure you that you do. Well, unless you're driving, don't, please don't do that. <laughs> Listen to it again. Um, but tonight on the show, we have Sophia Gonzalez. Sophia, how are you? I am doing good, Charles. Thank you for that awesome introduction. I appreciate you. I mean, I, I'm not lying when I, I, I'm sure if anybody, if you think I am like, go back to my tweets from June and you will see what I was posting out about Dr. G here. She was, she brought the heat. She brought the fire. The, the passion was absolutely there. And so I, I was like, man, I, I, I've got to get her on the show. So that way we can experience that in this space. But, but before we jump into all that, because I'm like already like, let's just talk. <laughs> there might be somebody listening and like, man, he's so excited. Who is this person? So Sophia, tell us a little bit about you the work that you're doing, I know that you're kind of in a different space right now. So talk to us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, for sure. So um, first off, thank you for having me in this space. I'm really excited whenever I get an opportunity to talk all things education and justice and equity. I'm here for it. Um, but yes, I am a 15-year high school teacher veteran in the classroom, and I'm a nonprofit leader and a bit of a social activist, a traveling speaker. I do a little bit of everything, um, but I am in a different space right now. This is the first time in 15 years that I'm out of the classroom. Um, I took a full-time role with the U.S. Department of Education. I'm their school ambassador fellow. I'm onboarding right now, but it is basically a year-long fellowship with the DOE, and I get to advocate at the federal level for things that I'm super on fire about, like teacher diversity, the multilingual educator, and really just championing for things like closing those academic and achievement gaps for students and teachers that are on the margins and just really pushing for equal education opportunity for all. I'm just excited uh, to be in the space with you tonight. Yeah. I, I mean, just listening to you talk, I was like, man, how, like she's out there doing that thing. And to be able to like say, hey, you know what? I, I love doing this work in my classroom, but I, this is bigger than me, right? This, this There's yeah. so much work to be done. I'm, I'm going to take that sacrifice to step out of the classroom for a year and, and to go do this work on a federal level. That's just amazing. So in advance, just say, Thank you. Thank you for advocating on our behalf. Absolutely. I'm here for it. So I'm curious, as we start to think about tonight, I know when you and I were talking kind of like pre-show, right? Uh, like, what are we going to talk about? And you threw out a few ideas. And I really like this idea that you said, hey, you know what? Here are these three, but I, 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 I think I want to marry these two because they're, they're, they're similar. They interact with one another. They engage with one another. So tonight, as we jump into like 
how we're pushing back, how we're challenging that narrative. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, man. So for a while, I've been on this like teacher diversity and really diversifying that teacher pipeline and doing some work in and out of the classroom for it. Because first and foremost, um, representation is serious in the K through 12 space right now. I mean, our student population is growing more and more diverse as we speak. And since we are in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month and as a Latina, proud Mexican, I'm going to let you all know the listening audience that the Latino population is the fastest growing population in the United States. So if you invest in the Latino community, you are investing in the prosperity of our nation. And so as it relates to the teacher pipeline, representation is definitely something that is lagging behind. And that's something that I've been really focusing on for the past couple of years. Um, man, 80% of our teacher workforce are white women. And yet, as we've been noticing, these numbers are skyrocketing for our diverse student body. And so we really have a lot of catching up to do. I was doing some research and even within the state of Illinois, um, I was running a podcast recently and I was looking at the male Latino educator alone, Charles, and listen to this, 6% in 2018, 2019 school year of our teacher population were Latino males, 6% across the state of Illinois, that's single digits. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, um, that's just something that I'm really passionate about mirrors and windows and sliding glass doors. I mean, there's something to be said about having teachers in front of you that look like you, that understand your cultural landscape, that can speak your language. Listen, I didn't have a teacher of color, a specifically a Latino or Latina until I became one. I had one black professor in my junior college journey, and wow. he really made an impact on me. And just thinking through that, I'm in a Title I school right now. Over 90% of my kids come from Mexico, first gen. And for some of them, I am the only Latina in front of them. And that really says a lot. So those are some of the things that I really want to advocate for at the federal level um, is teacher representation and diversifying that teacher workforce. Can anyone teach any student? Of course. But there's something to be said about teachers in front of you that get you, that understand where you're coming from, that know your history and can really connect with you on that level. I have seen it. I have felt it. And here's a great example and something that I'm extremely proud of. One of my former students came back to our building about three years ago, and she is now a teacher. And when oh, she first awesome. came, isn't that awesome? And she emailed me and we were going to share rooms at first, but then she got bumped to a, a different room. And she's like, Miss Gonzalez, this is Jenna Montalvo. And I just want to let you know that we're sharing a room, but I also want to let you know that I was your former student. Not sure if you remember me, but I got into teaching in part because of you. Like you were the first Latina that I had seen in so long in front of me. And I'm like, wow, like I want to do that. And I want to be that. And to me, Charles, like that's what it's about is to really be that role model and to be that light and to be that mirror of possibility. Like, yo, you could do whatever you want to be. Should you put your heart, your mind and your soul to it? Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about right now. You know, I, I think it's powerful, something that you were like referencing there. Right. And, and I say this a lot. You know, it's like our, when we talk about our students, that they can't be that which they do not see. Mm. Right. And, and and we have all of these hopes and dreams and aspirations for them. And yet oftentimes they look around and they say, right, whether it's in the text and we talk about the curriculum all the time, it's it's in the text and the, the novels and the things that we read and we utilize. But we're not always talking about the, the this educational space itself. When I look up and I don't mm. see anyone who looks like me. Right. Mm. It's kind of like, is is this a space that's meant for me? Right. Wow. And, and so I'm I'm. I'm happy you're saying this. In fact, one of the sessions that I share, you know, I point out that about five or six years ago, a transition happened where the group that we often refer to, and we still do, right, is the minorities, right? Like they were no longer the minority population. They they crept over that 50% 
you know, kind of a percentage. And for the first time in our country's history, the minorities were no longer the minorities. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like that's important to understand of what what's coming, right? Because those young people are are going to be the adults. There are going to be the individuals that are, right, the ones who are voting, the ones who are operating businesses, the ones who are like essentially running this country. And things are going to look very, very different in the very near future. We're not talking, you know, 50 years down the line. Like in the very, very near future, the demographics of our country are going to change significantly. Right. And if we're talking about education being a key to opening doors and the future, like it has to change. Right. I love that you say that. And here's something that I always say in different spaces that I'm in, you know, language matters. And I want to talk about that word minority um, because I know that it's used often and I know that it's used to represent a lot of people groups to include our own. but, you know, think about that word for a second, right? Mm-hmm. The word minority, the root word is minor. And there is nothing minor about the robust cultures that are represented within that word minority. I like to say we're the global majority to your point, right? <laughs> and I always like to tell folks, calling people in, right? Because we don't want to call people out. We, we want to call people in. Um, a better phrase to say would be minoritized um, or disenfranchised, right? Um, but to your point, um, we have a diverse global society and our school system K through 12 is definitely representing that. And so what are we going to do with the teaching staff, with the school leadership that is in front of tomorrow's agents of change and the next generation? And so these are things that I'm definitely doing a lot of work with. Um, I'm also with this nonprofit organization called Edifying Teachers, and I'm their lead teacher voice right now. And I'm doing a bit of a speaking tour with them. I'm actually going to be in Twin Cities at the end of this month doing a keynote, um, just doing a great convening um, with Augsburg University and and this uh, program called the Thrive Program, which really focuses on emerging teachers of color and just kind of nourishing them, even at the onset, right? Uh, Because there's so much to be said about the pipeline um, and why there isn't an why there isn't enough teachers of of color in these K through 12 spaces, but we got to take it all the way back to access and teacher preparation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Do these emerging teachers have fair access to quality teacher preparation programs? Do they have fair access to opportunities at these different school buildings and districts? And obviously, as we're seeing, the resounding answer is no, right? And so um, just even doing some work at the national level, Edifying Teachers is doing an incredible work. We're actually a mentorship program. And what we do is we hang out with different districts across the nation, and we create these mentorship models um, where we actually um, have mentors in different buildings across the United States, and they specifically mentor teachers of color, get this, and they create a safe space and an environment for teachers of color to go to, to get that nourishment and to get that unique, culturally responsive support. I never had mentorship, Charles, especially my first five years of teaching. Listen, I did my first five years of teaching, and I know you heard my story when we were keynoting in Kansas City, uh, which you killed the two, by the way. I learned a lot from you. Thank you. (laughs) So props props to you for your work and all the things that you're doing. You're definitely making a difference, and we see you. Um, But, you know, just getting into that work, I mean, it is so critical Um, just really looking at culturally responsive frameworks for our teachers of color to thrive. 
As I mentioned, I did my first five years teaching in a very gang infested neighborhood within the city of Chicago. And it was literally like a baptism by fire. Like no teacher preparation program could have prepared me for what I was about to experience. It was like episodic, stand and deliver, freedom riders kind of stuff. I mean, undercover cops coming into my classroom, yanking my kids out during period six, that school to prison pipeline, literally in front of my face. Young parents, young moms, two to three kids, no registered address. And then as I was mentioning in my keynote, and as you were hearing, man, I started losing my kids to gang into gun violence in my second year of teaching. And it's like, yo, and all of them were Latino, like all of them. It, like the name of my school was called Latino Youth High School. And it was like, yo, right then and there, I knew like, I'm like, I need to be more than just a teacher. And for some of my students, I was the first Latina teacher of color that was in front of them, their entire K through 12 experience. Some of them even told me. And I mean, for some of our students, this can be the difference between life and death and not just academic success mm -hmm. and failure. So representation matters. It's really important. And it's one of the things that I really want to push at the federal level. So before I jump into this next question, and I'm curious, and I know I promised I wouldn't throw any curveball. So I just, I'm going to th float this out there because this is something like you and I both have these conversations with audiences across the country. Yeah. And so I, what I have found, right, when I'm, when I'm sharing these, this idea, right, this, this need to diversify the, the, the teachers within our buildings, right? I mean, you mentioned that 6% uh, are Hispanic males, right, in the state of Illinois, right? We talk about, right, in, in the BME space, the black male educators, right, that 2%, you know, in the Dang. country. And it's like such, such low numbers. And what we're trying to say is, look, I, I, I try to have these conversations because what I, what I typically hear is, so what are you saying? Right. That these, this, the 80% of the Caucasian females who are currently teaching, are you saying that we don't know how to teach students of color? Right. And as you kind of mentioned earlier, like that, that, that's not what I'm saying, but what I am saying is that there are a bunch of barriers and hurdles and we see the evidence of this. We have these conversations, right? Hence the reason for all of these reforms and, and programs and all these things that we have in our schools that, if we can give students an additional role model, right? People who look like them, who are from the same neighborhoods as them, who, who sound like them, right? Who, who had the same mm. experiences. A lot of those hurdles that, you know, individuals have to jump over and get through in order to teach the curricula, right? The, the, it's kind of, we, we, we're already that much closer, right? And so I guess my question for you is, as we are having these conversations, what is your typical response to somebody who's who who that is the response? So what are you saying? Like because I'm white, I can't teach a minority, right? And and because that's the phrases that are being used, I can't teach minority students. Yeah, I mean, and I have definitely had a lot of conversations with my white colleagues, um, and you know, it's really about understanding. You know, there's this uh, phrase that's been thrown around, right, within our EDU spaces, teaching to the whole child, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, in conversations with some of my white colleagues, there's this understanding, right, that, of course, anyone can teach to the content. Anyone can love a student. Anyone can love a child. Anyone can show genuine care and concern. Um, but it has been proven, Charles, through research, through data, that when there is a teacher of color in front of students of color, the academic gains, especially with black and brown students, let's just talk about the black student. Okay, if a black student has another black educator in front of them, they are twice as likely to graduate high school, they the chances of them going into post-secondary journeys and experiences double. It breaks and often disrupts that school to prison pipeline. Why? Because teachers of color oftentimes 
have these expectations on them. They don't lower their expectations. They often bring culturally responsive practices in the classroom. Case in point, me as a Latina, I'm constantly disrupting the text. I'm a junior AP Lang and composition teacher. White Eurocentric pedagogy and curriculum has been the name of the game for decades. I'm coming in. We're going to analyze rhetoric. Let's take a look at Barack Obama, Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez, Malala Yousafzai. We're diversifying this. We're disrupting this. And what does that do? It allows them to see the lived experiences that they can connect with. And in addition to that, diversity and diversifying the teacher workforce benefits everybody, Charles. It benefits even the white student. The white student can have these misconceptions and these stereotypes debunked mm. by having a mm-hmm. teacher of color in front of them that that cares about them, that pushes them, that exposes them to different narratives histories and lived experiences. And it creates mutual understanding. It creates a bridge of peace and democracy in these classroom spaces. So teacher diversity not just benefits students of color, but it benefits all students. And in addition to that, it brings in non-teachers of color into the space and really helping them understand that everybody's history matters. Everybody's lived experiences matter. And there's something to be said about creating space for all of us in the classroom. You know, Sophia, that, that's that's powerful. And when, as you were responding, you know, one of the things that I was even thinking about, you know, as we're talking about these lived experiences, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring those in. We're going to be able to, right, I, I know where you're coming from. I, you know, I, I can bring that. The other piece that I was thinking about was as you were talking about the, the the likelihood that students are going to graduate. And the very first thought that came to my mind was, I, I wonder, right, is it this just not just academics, but the fact that I get to stay in my classroom, mm. right? We're talking about the discipline. And I, I, I won't forget reading the story of, of a doctor who was treating a, a black woman and it was a white male doctor. And he had made a notation that the woman was having some psychotic episode because he noticed that she kept hitting herself in the head while a black nurse said, dot, like she just got her braids done. Mm. Right. There there was a perception to say, wait a minute, I, I, I recognize what's happening here and I'm not applying my own lens. Right. It is as helpful as it may want. Right. As well as intentioned as it may be. Right. I'm not applying that own lens. And so how many behavioral or the interactions may occur where I'm not assuming that it's, you know, uh, being disrespectful or, you know, whatever it might be to say, hey, you know what, this child actually has an opportunity now to stay in the classroom. And it's not, as you mentioned, a lowering of expectations. It's not a permissive, you know, attitude like, okay, well, we're going to allow certain things, but it's, I understand right? Those Mm. cultural gaps, right? Which oftentimes results, as you mentioned, in that school to prison pipeline, which makes me wonder as we're talking about this, which finally brings me to the the second question of this, which we're talking about why. Like, Mm. why do we not have enough teachers? And so one of the things I think about and I hear oftentimes is who wants to return to a place that was so horrible for them, right? Who wants to go back into a place who says, look, I barely made it through. And now you want me to go back into that space willingly? Like, no, 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 no. So I'm curious as you think about this, why? I mean, it's not like we haven't had students of color graduating. I mean, here you and I are both in these educational spaces and we know we just didn't graduate. Like, so what, what's the holdup? Why, why are, why are we having this issue? Yeah, for sure. Um, And to your point, we need to reimagine the way we view education. We need to reimagine the way we talk about education and becoming a teacher. Um, We need to be more conscious and more aware of offering this up to students um, and really creating just a vision for what teaching can be. I mean, COVID really 
did a number on the K through 12 space and even the post-secondary space. It really created an opportunity for us to reimagine. And in that COVID pivot was George Floyd and a whole bunch of, you know, trauma that our nation faced as it relates to racial justice and social justice. And it, it, it is really to our advantage to continue to leverage this opportunity to reimagine what the K through 12 space can look like. Because honestly, if we don't get in front of this, the pipeline is going to continue to look the same. If we don't disrupt the natural or the, um, what is it called? You know, just the, um, just how things have always been done for the past couple of decades, we are really going to see some really critical moments in education. I mean, just last year, I mean, my space, you know, I have really taken pride in my classroom. Like that is really, for me, teaching is a version of resistance. It really is an opportunity to create and to offer up this idea of global citizenship, of civic responsibility, and really exposing our students to social issues that they are connected to, all that they need to be is exposed to it. But I think it takes bravery. I think mm-hmm. it takes bravery on behalf of school administration, on behalf of the teaching staff and every stakeholder in the K through 12 space to be like, yo, we have got to shake things up here. We have got to look at our classrooms, at our spheres of influence. And as part of my keynote, like I flipped the table over. I'm like, we got to turn the tables. We got to turn. She did flip a table over on stage. Like, See? <laughs> literally. Testify, Charles. <laughs> Testify to the people that Miss G got up there and turned a flipping table. And literally, that's what it's going to take. One of the lines that I like to say a lot in my keynotes is every revolution begins on the heels of resistance, right? Every revolution begins on the heels of resistance. I feel like we first have to resist what we have been doing and understand that in large part, it is not working. We need to ebb and flow with our student demographics. We need to stay relevant to the times. We need to understand that the generations that we're working with are more woke than we are. They are interested in social issues. They are interested in justice. They are interested in reform and they want to learn about that. So why can't we fuse that into their learning experience? Yo, they are about that. Last year I hooked up and this was my third year with this grant. I hooked up with a nonprofit called United Planet. Shout out to United Planet. They are a nonprofit that creates global opportunities to interconnect at an international level for students and teachers. And we engaged in an eight-week experience with Iran, with Iraq, with Nigeria, with the Czech Republic. Like we were engaged in sustainable development goals. And my students broke up into groups and they tackled an SDG of their choice. They were tackling immigration. They were tackling quality education. They were tackling climate change. They were they were tackling gender inequality, immigration, and they were there for it. And they came alive. I was like, yo. And we hooked up with these different countries discussing issues. And here's what we came to discover, that we're more similar than we are different. Mm-hmm. And that we have a voice. And education is all about the amplification of voices. And it's not just about the distribution of information as much as it is about giving a student agency, putting a mic under their under their throat and saying, listen, lift your voice. You have something to say, and we are here to hear it. And I feel like that's where education should go. And as it goes that way, and if it flows that way, we will attract to your question, 
We will attract more individuals into the teaching profession. Why? Because we're creating safe spaces. Why? Mm. Because we're making it exciting and engaging. Why? Because we're really blowing out what I call the classroom walls and bringing in the 21st century classroom. Yo, the time is now. It, there is no longer space for us to just talk about standardized testing, for us to talk about data points. Yo, these kids are ready to change the world and they need folks, adults in their corner that will just set them up to thrive because they are ready and they're needing adults right now to stand in their corner. Man, like, so I, I just want to go back to the, the opening statement that I had. Remember when I said that, this guest was going to bring like that passion and that heat. Like I told you, I told you. So Let's I don't go. know about you, but I'm just like, I'm already like, man, let me, let me flip the page here. I'm, I'm filling in this notebook. I, I, I love everything that you're saying. I, I love this idea to say, hey, you know what? Let, let's create these safe spaces. Let's transform education, right? You're right. Like this idea that I think, right? And I literally was just having this conversation with one of my teachers the other day. I said, you know, I think oftentimes the, these things that we're dealing with are not our student issues. They are our own issues. We're getting in our mm. own way because our students are saying, let us go, right? We're, we're so confined to what we understand education to be. We're so worried about kind of loosening up the reins and they, they, they're biting at the bit, right? They, they, they cannot wait to launch forward. And when we're able to empower our students and to step back and say, go be the amazing you that you can be. Like we're constantly blown away by what, by what they do. And it's just like, but why, why does that have to happen in pockets? Why does that have to be those brief, like, Oh, let, let me, let me shine a light on this on Twitter or whatever it may be. Why can't that just be the, the nude status quo, right? Why can't that be our new norm where our students are just being phenomenally them because I mean, I, I literally was looking up that United Planet as you were talking about, it and it's just like, yeah, like this is their world. Let let yes. them partake in it. Yes. I love that. And one of the last things that I did, Charles, and like it gives me all of my feelings because like, yo, I miss my classroom. I'm like, how am I not Miss G this year? Like, I don't have students. Like, what's happening? But one of the last things that I did with them was I took them to Springfield and I took them to a rally and they met their state representatives. And we were there to advocate for more funding in Title I spaces. And they were just incredible, Charles. Like they were talking to state representatives. Like they were like, listen, I want to know what you're going to do to the... Uh, in reference to the school to prison pipeline, because that's affecting my school community. I want to know what you're doing for first generation immigrant students who lack citizenship, but still want to have a future. What are you going to do to advocate for them? Like they were going in and I was just there, like in the background as this proud teacher mama, like, yo, I have arrived. I have arrived. And that was the culmination of their eight-week sustainable development goals project. We took it to Springfield. Like, and I was like, man, they are actually doing it. And I didn't have to speak for them. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, we often feel like we have to speak on behalf of our students. No, mm -hmm, we just mm -hmm. need to amplify the voices that they already have. And if we're conscious enough as educators, if we're conscious enough as those who want to be change agents, we would be in such a better space if we would just allow our students, as you say, to thrive, to grow, and to ascend because they're waiting for that, right? They just need an opportunity. And for many of our students, man, like we cannot be late. Like we cannot sleep on this um, because I really feel like, man, we have an opportunity as stakeholders. We have an opportunity as school leadership and as admin. And as I've been mentioning, I feel like this is such a larger issue than me that I have left the most sacred space that I have built for the past 15 years to advocate for this at the federal level because our nation's kids deserve it, our nation's educators deserve it, and the time is now. 
but justice needs to roll down like a river and we need a few renegades to jump out the trenches to lead that charge. Man, like, you know, what? and when I was listening to you with this idea of like taking them down to Springfield, I, I was thinking back to some of the things that we've said in this podcast, right? Like to, to be able to stand up and to speak their minds and to confront lawmakers, like, Man. right, how many individuals might look at them and be like, oh, that's disrespectful. Right. We, we, we should maybe just write a letter or maybe an email or something like that. And it's like, no, like our students have voices. Right. And, and how that approach may be misinterpreted or looked at differently and thus an opportunity not provided to our students. And so mm. kudos to you for taking the students down there and saying, hey, look, you're the one who's who are going to be voting for these individuals. The decisions that they are making are impacting your lives. Mm. Have that conversation. Right. Have that bold conversation in the way that you know how, because the lawmakers need to hear it from you and not filtered through so many different lenses and aspects and all those things to where it becomes this, like I talk about this, this sugar-free approach, right? We, we, we mm. need to stop sugarcoating everything to placate the individuals who are receiving it. Like, no, you mm. need to hear it raw and from the source. So that way you understand just how important this is. So, so kudos to you for taking those kids down there. And let me tell you, thank you so much. Like for some of them, when I gave like the end of the year survey, like, what did you like about the class? What could be improved? Um, because I really care about what, what students say about my class and about my best practices. And you run a risk, right? Like you run a risk of saying, you know, of them saying like, this is kind of lame and you need to improve this. But I feel like they're my most important stakeholders. So I need to hear from them the most, right? And for many of them, they were like, yo, taking me to Springfield was everything to me. You brought out the inner activist in me. I want to continue on. I want to advocate. And one of my students, actually, because I brought some local nonprofit organizations in my classroom as part of the eight-week project, um, one of them actually applied to a local nonprofit organization and got hired as an ambassador and is now working for a local nonprofit that services our community. And I'm just like, yo, like this is, I just wish that, you know, we can continue to create these opportunities for our students and for us to be brave enough, right? To push boundaries and to push limits and to try new things and to be willing to succeed and to fail. Um, but a lot of that stems from, man, are we willing to do this, right? And are we willing to continue to meet the needs of our diverse student body? I mean, those are some of the tough questions that we need to continue to ask ourselves. So I'm curious, as, as we move into the third right, and final part of this conversation, right, I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, you know, Dr. G, you know, Charles, I, I, I hear you, right? But what can I do, right? Like, Mm. You know, how how am I going to increase the diversity of educators within the space, right? Like I, I'm not running teacher prep programs. I'm not recruiting teachers, right? Whatever it might be. Like, what can I do in order to, to diversify this space? Yeah. First of all, support the teachers that are, that are in the spaces, right? <laughs> I mean, if you have, like, if you're a parent and you have a, you know, teacher of color that is teaching your child, support them, um, send them an email, send them a message, like send them words of encouragement. Um, let them know that you see them, that you acknowledge them and that you are with them in that school year as their ally. Um, my uh, daughter, my nine-year-old daughter, she's in a dual language program. And I always make it a point to let her teachers know, like, I'm a fellow teacher. I see you. Thank you for teaching English and Spanish to my daughter and to your students, sending them gift cards, just words of encouragement. Like, that's just first off, right? And then obviously, um, if, if you are school leadership, um, you know, speaking to school leadership, and I know that your school admin, just to continue to support your staff and just to continue to pour into um, those teachers that take on those tough teaching assignments. 
um, that are there for the kids and you know they're there for the kids and really continue to support them, check in on them, um, give them resources and really continue to create safe spaces, not just for the students, right? But for the teachers that want to encourage and nurture those students that really need that additional help, that additional support, those mirrors, those windows, those sliding glass doors. Um, and then also, right, to continue just to do the research and to continue to, again, um, it really starts with acknowledging that diversity matters. You know, I'm reading a text called, um, it's such a good book. I'm going to grab it because let me not get it wrong. Support and retain educators of color. Six principles for culturally affirming leadership by Andrea Terrano Gabadon. And I just met her. I sat in a Zoom with her um, just a few days ago. And um, just the, the depth and the breadth of knowledge. Um, and one of the things that she wrote in here was, one of the things that is really going to propel diversifying the teacher workforce is to acknowledge first and foremost that diversity matters. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's simplistic, right? Like, okay, but to acknowledge that it matters and that it changes things is the catalyst for so many other things to fall into place as a result. We're talking state support, building support, federal support, funding, resources, access. Um, there's a host of things that come from just the acknowledgement, like, yo, this actually does matter. And supporting those who are willing to go the distance to be able to advocate for that as far and as wide as we can. You know, it, it's funny because you say it's simple, right? And yet, like, there's a reason why you know, she had to put that in the book, right? Because not everyone recognizes it. Not everyone, you know, yeah. moves forward with that same mindset. And so, you know, I, I was thinking as you were talking, you know, we, we do a lot of this work kind of on the back end, mm. right? And so one of the things for the listeners, one of the things I would implore you is that look at the future educators in your space, right? And we don't mm. even have to wait until they're like in the college or at even high school, but Look at those individuals in your spaces. We talked about our classrooms are diversifying year over year over year. And so your classrooms are going to continue looking differently. And mm -hmm. when you're looking at those that those little ones, I remember, you know, I, I ran elementary schools for a decade, right? And wow. you, you go into that little kindergarten space and you see those little bodies and you're like, oh, like future astronaut, future scientist, right? But you also have future teachers in those spaces. Yeah. Right. And so consider the experiences that you provide that child. As we talked about earlier, mm. nobody wants to go into a space that was traumatic for them. And I know that was That's one right. of our other topics. I think it's going to be a future episode. Uh, but like nobody wants to return to a place that's now a trigger for them. Yeah. So if you really want to help diversify this space, like make sure that your students are having an amazing experience so they can say, you know what? I want to come back and do the same thing for other people because you did such a great thing for me. I mean, you you have students who are coming back to the ed space, right? We, we, we've been around long enough where we've seen our students graduate and be able to make their way back in. And yeah. it's a powerful, powerful space to know that I created a space, right? Or we created a space that was so welcoming and inviting and, you know, powerful that you're willing to spend the next, you know, 20, 30 years of your life willingly coming back to a space that you probably are like, mom, I don't want to go. Right. But now, now you're coming back. So I, man, it's, I, I just wanted to throw on to that because I, I love the fact that when our listeners walk out of the space, right, you fire them up. We, we got to yeah, give them man. something to go and use that energy towards. I love that creating those safe spaces so that you create just a pull for students to want to come back and to um, recreate that same safe space. One of the last podcasts that I did, um, and I'm coming back for a new season with Latinx Education Collaborative, dropping all these networks and spaces. So for all the listeners, drop into these different spaces yes, because yes. they are doing some incredible things at a national level. Um, I uh, talked about alumni 
And one of my themes was talking to teachers that were once alum um, at their, you know, school and how they came back and now they're teaching. And that was one of the things that they mentioned was that many of their teachers created that much of an inviting and invigorating and an engaging space that they wanted to come back to do the same for the next generation. So to your point, it is very magnetic and they all didn't have just teachers of color. They had all kinds of different teachers from different cultural backgrounds, but it was the space that was created. It was the love that was shared. It was the concern that was shared. It was the fun that was fused in that drew them in and said, you know what? I want to come back and I want to do this for another set of students because I know what it did for me. Um, and to your point, it is a powerful magnetic force. And it, we owe it as the teacher workforce in 2023-2024 school year to create that vision for our future teachers. We've got to make it inviting. We've got to make it engaging. We've got to let them know that we care. We got to set those high expectations and we got to engage them with cutting edge curriculum that is responsive, that is relevant, and that is an open door for them to access and for them to walk through. Absolutely. Man. So Sophia, you, you just mentioned this idea of I'm dropping all these spaces, right? Make sure that you go and check them out which definitely they'll be in the show notes. I'm trying to capture as many as I can. I might have to go back and listen to this one again, which is not going to be an issue for me. <laughs> but we're talking about all of those organizations and resources and spaces like that, which definitely go and check them out. But how can they connect with you? How, how can they find you? How can they see all of the amazing work that you're doing? Yeah, for sure. So I'm on a few media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at underscore Sophia Speaks, S-O-F-I-A Speaks, and I'm on LinkedIn, and I have my blog at sophiaspeaks.com. I'm doing some things. As I mentioned, I just got back from India when we were talking um, in, the, in the virtual green room um, with Fulbright Teachers for Global Classrooms, so be looking out for um, a movie that I'm going to be putting out, a short film on just my 17-day experience. They wanted me to blog, but I'm like, yo, I need to make a movie out of this. So I'm going to be dropping that soon. And as I mentioned, um, I'll be traveling around the country. I'm on a bit of a speaking tour right now. I just came back from Pennsylvania. Before that, I was in Kansas City, and now I'm going to head over to the Twin Cities um, October. October the 19th through the 21st. I've got a big convening over there for emerging teachers. I've got to encourage the, the newbies and the rookies. Listen, we need you in the profession. Stay here and be pumped up at the onset. So please follow me. Uh, please support me. Your girl is not um, too far gone to beg. I really <laughs> need the support. I need the encouragement. Your girl is out here advocating for some really, really tough issues at the state and at the federal level, but I'm here for it. I definitely want to speak on behalf of teacher trauma. I know we didn't get a chance to unpack that. There's a lot to be said about that. I come in the name of urban education. So my heart goes out to every urban educator under the sound of my voice right now. I know you work real close with the Chicago public schools. That's where I started my career and I'm Chicago born. So that has a really soft space in my heart, the urban educator, especially in the Chicago public school system, which by the way, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Charles, but aren't y'all like the third largest school district in the entire country? Aren't you up there? Top yeah, five? something like 350,000 students. It is <laughs> huge, huge. Yeah, man. So um, my 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 heart is very close to the CPS teacher and to the urban educator. But you can catch me on those spaces. Catch me if you can. I am onboarding with the Department of Education. Once I start my fellowship, it's going to be like a rocket ship from NASA. I don't even know, Charles. Y'all got to catch me. I got like a rocket pack in my backpack, and I'm just going to be like, <laughs> like floating in orbit. Uh, because once you sign up for it, it's like the world responds and it's like, I'm here for it. Listen, and with this, I pivot, you, you know, my first student funeral, I promised a grieving mother 
in a parking lot in the Catholic church, uh, who had just lost her son to gun violence. I said, listen, after I hugged her, I said, I promise you that I would do something with my classroom, with these hands, with this heart. And it's been 15 years later. And Charles, I have not broken my promise. And really like that conversation in the parking lot has really truly become my North star for real. Man, that is powerful. And and I cannot say thank you enough. I mean, obviously for being on the show, for just giving the listeners some amazing tidbits, bringing that passion, bringing that fire. But I think more importantly for just being an authentically passionate educator. I mean, this idea that you're, that you're committed to this promise, using that to drive you, doing this work, stepping outside of a classroom that you said, you know, you you spent 15 years cultivating that space and stepping yeah. out to say, you know what, let me, let me go into the unknown. Let me step into that uncomfortable space so that yeah. way I could continue doing this work on a much larger scale. So all I can say to you is just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. I so appreciate this opportunity to share my heart sharing some of my lived experiences and the research and just what I've seen at a local, a state, and now a federal level. I'm just excited to be here. I feel very fortunate. I feel very blessed. And um, I just want to continue to do good and really create opportunities uh, for students and teachers to just be at their best. No zip code should determine a student's destiny. No zip code should determine the amount of resources that a teacher receives. And you better believe I will be pushing that message as far as I can. Well, man, so there we go. And this is so, I'm, I'm sure that at some point in the future, in the near future, you and I will be sharing a stage again together. But I think we will definitely schedule this podcast because I cannot wait. So listeners, be on the lookout for not part two, but just a different aspect, a different conversation, talking about teacher trauma, something we know is important and hits home. So Sophia, until next time, I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you for this time and this space. It's been a ride. I appreciate you. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.